Well, Jimmy and I also had a wonderful opportunity on Wednesday to go to the Carpenter's Life Group and to hear some amazing things that God's been doing in their community. And so we want to pull you into that experience. We gathered around the Bradford's table, and they shared some awesome stuff that God, I mean, amazing, that God's been doing in the past semester. So if you can turn your attention to the screen, jump into this experience with us, you're going to be very blessed. My name is Victor Woodard. This is my wife, Tanisha. This is Andrew, Trent, and my oldest son, Jay. My name is Eric Bradford, and this is my lovely Magnolia, Mary Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> lovely Mac Junior Magnolia. <laughs> my daughter, youngest daughter, Michaela. Erica's in the other room. All right, I'm Vincent Carpenter, and this is my wife, Tanya. I'm Justin Rice, and this is my lovely mother, Cerinthia Rice. <laughs> and I'm Jimmy. <laughs> we are in a season of fruitfulness in the Carpenter Life Group, for real. And it started way before January. It actually started in October. Uh, a group of ladies were together at Union Hall. Yeah. Tanya always asked before uh, we close, can we bring anything for prayer? And I said, yes. I want my baby to meet somebody. <laughs> and so Tanya asked, well, what do you want? And so I just started talking about the things. I said, first, I want him to love the Lord. We have a 31-year-old special needs daughter, Erica, which is her older sister. And I want whoever she meets to be able to understand that and understand her responsibilities. And Tanya said, all right, ladies, let's do it. Let's pray. And so each of the ladies took one of those things and prayed. And, and lo and behold, two weeks later, she met someone. He was everything on the list and then some. His parents, retired military, he has a special needs brother. So he would know instantly what she was going with, through because he grew up with his brother and he loves the Lord and it, it was just amazing. And so when my mom told me about everyone in the life group praying for me and finding my person, I really thought, you know, now's the time for me to specifically say, what do I want in my future husband? Shortly after that, I talked to one of my coworkers and she introduced me to, or she was going to set up a blind date for me. We had an amazing first date where we found so much in common. It was almost scary how much we <laughs> had in common. The, and just our discussions and our talking, you know, I was like, wow. This is the this is like the woman I've been praying for, the woman I thought did not exist, um, or at least the one that I might not ever find. Um, that relationship you have with your sister is something that I can understand because of the relationship with my um, with my brother. And it's like God said, "Hey, I've aligned everything for you." Now I know it's like it's been a minute, but everything's done in His time. I am never gonna find anyone better, or basically. Anyone that's perfect is McKinley Bradford. God said it was time, and God brought you to me. And I want to be, I want to be your husband. Come here. God is in the details. He really is in the details, and he will he will confirm that to you over and over again. We have a picture of Michaela with Erica in this little Fisher Price car when they were young. 
Jordan and Justin have the same picture. The car, they're in the Fisher Price car, and the same door is open on this little car. Yes, you can. You can I gotta show you that picture. You're not gonna believe it. We had the privilege of hosting Life Group, and the Lord said to me, this is a time to journal what is going to happen this year. So I went out to Target and I bought journals for everybody. I said, this is the time to record what is happening. What, what is it that you want the Lord to do for you this year? Because we're all going to write it down. We're all going to pray about it because on December 31st, wherever we are, whatever December life group it is, we're going to flip back. And we're going to show how faithful God is. And we're still waiting to see, but God has been so fruitful just this far. We had young Andrew who said he wanted to be baptized. He gave his life to Christ. Jane, Jane gave his life to Christ at the January life group. And then Andrew came and gave his life to Christ. So Raina was holding life group for the kids. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I just remember, because um, McKinley, you were in there with them, and I just heard them let out this loud yelp. And we're like, whoa, what happened in there? But they all were praising God because Jamie had given his life to Christ. He was like, does anyone want to give their life to Jesus? I was like, you know, I think it's time. So give my life to Jesus. They prayed over me and like, it was a great feeling. So guys in a lot of boys' life. They have, um, Trent was the very first person to get saved and baptized and it's like it's had a triple a, a trickling effect ever since then so Trent was first and then Jaden and then Andrew so all three of our boys are <clears throat> by the grace of God they have given their lives to the Lord yeah Andrew um, a few weeks ago he has been dealing with just some peer pressure and being bullied and so I just began to just use that as an opportunity to let him know you know Andrew me and dad may not be there all the time for you to call or to encourage you but there is always us there's someone that is always there that you can call him at any time um, you can speak to him at any time he I was like do you know who I'm talking about? He was like, yes, ma'am. And I said, I'm talking about Jesus. And so I said, we were driving to church that Sunday and I was like, you know, they, they're going to give a call to discipleship. And so if that is something you're thinking about and you're really wanting to do that, let me know. And, you know, sure enough, <laughs> the call to discipleship came and I said, well, Andrew, is that something you're wanting to do? Do you want to have a relationship with God? And he was like, yes, ma'am, I do. And so I took his hand and we walked down there and he gave his life to God. And so we are building a pool in our backyard. And so I told Pastor Vincent, hey, the first thing that happened in this pool will be Andrew's baptism. That's Come what on. we're going to do. To add to that, because we're military, we moved around a lot and Michaela didn't get a chance to get baptized. So the goal was we're going to have Andrew and Michaela first thing when we get a little warm weather to get baptized in the pool. And then we set the baptism up. Long behold, <laughs> Mr. Justin called me and said, hey, we thought how wonderful it would be to surprise her and have the proposal after the baptism. And so we kept it all under wraps. She had no idea, came up out of the pool, went and changed over. My mom was here. She made this beautiful arch and they took it out the back door while she was over there eating. She didn't know what was going on. Um, they finished eating and then Justin proposed to her at the baptism. 
had the pool blessed, rest mm-hmm. and blessed the pool for safety. We had three baptisms and a proposal all in one <laughs> life group meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Some of y'all want to go to that life group, don't you? You definitely want those ladies praying for you. Isn't that beautiful? That is just, I love that. And it was such a joy to, to be there um, with them. And hey, I just want to make note that two weeks from now, we're doing what we call a baptism bash. If you've never been baptized, if today you give your life to Jesus and you want to follow him in baptism, two weeks from now, all you got to do is Go to the QR code, go to the front desk, let us know, and we're going to get a chance to have an incredible time, which is one of our greatest joys uh, two weeks from now. Now, back to our story, as Laura and I were there uh, the other night, you know, when, when Justin started talking about how much he loves Michaela, I mean, everybody, you saw everybody smile and we're like, well, I want to be your husband. And he said a lot of other sweet things. And we were all just caught in the moment. And so I just kind of spontaneously slipped over to Spotify and pulled up a little Lionel Richie and uh, started playing this song in the background just for love's sake. My love. Come on. There's only you in my life. Doesn't get any better than that. Lionel, sweet. That's right. All right, here she comes. Here comes Diana. My first wow. Your every breath that I take. Now, Laura and I were going to start dancing, but she went off to take care of the kids. Oh, you're going longer than last time. All right. <laughs> We just couldn't pass up a moment because love was so real and beautiful and tangible. And you know, the beauty of that table was us sharing hearts together, talking about marriage, talking about salvation, and ultimately experiencing the presence of the Lord. You know, the deal is Easter is not just about the resurrection of Jesus. It is about the resurrection that leads to the love of God that we might find what we were made for. Jesus literally calls himself the bridegroom, and we are the bride. He literally throws the net out every day, the net of his loving kindness to draw us to himself And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he offers himself and makes a covenant with us forever. And just as we sat around that table or they were around that pool celebrating marriage and what was to come, there is this table that is set for us in all eternity. When we give our life to Christ in this life, we experience the love we long for. And there is what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will sit down with Jesus at the supper of all suppers as we celebrate this union, not just for a moment, but for eternity. Wherever you are today, may you know the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth of the love of God. May Jesus become so real to you as we gather around his table and his word. So if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 24, you can turn there. If you don't, we'll have the scriptures on the screen. If you go to your phone, don't text, don't text, just go to the scripture. All right. Well, Luke 24, 
Um, it starts off with a very familiar story. Jesus has died. He was buried. A huge stone was rolled in front of his tomb. And a group of the ladies went down to the tomb just to mourn and to grieve and maybe even to celebrate and honor this life of the one that loved them so well. And as they went down there, they saw that the stone had been literally rolled away. It was an impossibility. And then two angels appear and they, and they began to speak to the ladies. And here's what they said, starting in verse five. The men, the angels said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember, everybody say remember. How he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered, everybody say remembered. And they remembered his words. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also other women were with them and were telling them these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. So here's what we've got. We've got Mary Magdalene that was, was literally rescued from prostitution. We've got different moms and different ladies. They've all gone. They've experienced this encounter with God. They come back to the guys and the guys don't believe them. They said, man, these ladies don't know what they're talking about. Now, that's a pause right now, guys, for your, these ladies do know what they're talking about, right? Your wife's been trying to tell you for years, here's the scripture that she can back up, that she's got some insight that we need to know. So the ladies have the revelation. They have the insight. The guys don't listen. But Peter spontaneously jumps up. He runs down to, to see if it's what, it, what they said it was. And here's what it said. Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So here we go. Jesus has risen. They don't fully comprehend it yet. And they're deliberating and kind of the word and the news on the street begins to happen. Something, the tomb is empty. Did the Roman soldiers take him? Um, who, who stole Jesus? Maybe a couple of them are starting to say, but these angels showed up and they told the ladies that he's risen just as he said. So they're kind of in that in-between time because they haven't seen him yet face to face. Well, we pick it up again in chapter 24, uh, in verse 13. It says, Behold, two of them, two of the disciples, two of the people that were in the room when the ladies returned with the information, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. These guys already had plans. Uh, they don't know really what's happening, but they're going to go and stay with their plan, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with, with each other about all these things which had taken place. So basically, a couple of the guys that were in the, in the room where they had heard this story, they're all deliberating, thinking about what's going on, and they're headed for about a two and a half hour walk. Now, you know, a couple of guys together talking about the news going on in Jerusalem. Now think about today, if you were to take the front page of our paper, 
or, the, or of your news feed or however you get your news. And then we were to have a two and a half hour talk about what was going on. I would try to imagine what would it be like today? We would talk about What's going on with our country? What's going to happen with our finances? I can't believe that celebrity did that. Uh, yes, you can. And I can't believe that, that this is going on. Or, oh my goodness, what about that? As a general rule, as we would discuss the news of the day, there would be anxiety, there would be anger, there would be some laughter, there would be some questioning, especially if we didn't, weren't sure if the stories we were reading were true. So these are just normal guys talking about the news of the day. Now it's very significant, obviously, because of their own encounters with Jesus. And now we have Jesus stepping into the scene to bring some clarity. While they were talking and discussing, verse 15, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, here's what I know about every person in this room and every person watching online right now. Jesus has shown up in your life or you wouldn't be here. You may not have identified it as Jesus. You may not have seen him. I go back to my mom having me late in life. She chose to have me. Jesus showed up somehow to my unbelieving mom and she had enough grace to keep me and carry me. That alone makes me believe in Jesus. Uh, I remember when I was five years old, I often share the story of being enamored with the door handle on the station wagon and opening the door at 70 miles an hour, falling out and my brother grabbing me, and I can still in my eyes see the, the, the street going by, him grabbing me and yanking me back in. Well, that was not the hand of my brother, that was the hand of God. We can all go through our lives in the little acts of kindness to the big dramatic deliverances. We would not be alive if God was not active in our lives. One of the stories that, I, that, that actually was a turning point in my life was when I was a junior in high school and um, sports was kind of the, one of the main things that I was into and our family was into. And um, that uh, I'd had the opportunity to play uh, uh, football and uh, usually got to start and got to be a part of the team. Well, this particular junior year, it was what the, they had spring practice. They used to have three weeks. I don't think they let them do it anymore, but we used to have three weeks of practice in the spring. And what they do is we went to a very large school. They come out with what they call depth chart, who's first string, who's second string, who's third string going into the next year. Well, we're going into our senior year. I'd always been first string or been able to play. And I get to the depth chart and I look on the wall and it says Cybert. A third string. Third string. And I went to coach and I said, coach, what are you talking about? It's our senior year. You have me listed as third on the depth chart. What's going on? And he said, uh, he said, I know you don't think that we know these things, but you guys have been partying a lot. We were drinking six nights a week. We were starting to mess with drugs. There was some bad stuff going on in our lives. And somehow the coaches knew it. And he said, son, you're going to have to make a decision in life because if you keep going the direction you're going, you're going over the cliff. I was an unbeliever. I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, but 
somehow those words rung true, and I, I knew he was right. I can't keep doing what I'm doing, and, and at that time, it was a very natural motivation. I want to play football. I want to play my senior year, and right now, if I don't make some changes, something's uh, not going to, I'm not going to have that opportunity. So in the middle of that journey, um, I, at the same time, had this little thought in the back of my mind I had been thinking about, I wonder if God's real. So somehow between that thought of, I wonder if God's real, to this coach confronting me about my lifestyle, uh, there was this kind of thing going on. So again, we go through spring practice, and at the end of spring practice, a buddy of mine um, says, hey, would you mind coming over tonight? Uh, I want to share a story with you that uh, this changed my life, or I want you to listen to this guy's story that changed my life. And I said, sure. And uh, he didn't talk about God or anything else, just a cool story about somebody that had changed uh, his life. And so we went and we listened to this cassette tape of this man's testimony of him coming to know Jesus, coming out of drugs and alcohol and difficulty in his life. And as I listened to the story, I realized, oh my goodness, I actually believe this. I believe that Jesus is a savior. I believe that he really can save us. And it just so happens in the sovereignty of God, my brother was home. He was the only believer in our family. He was home that particular week of all things from college. And as I went home and asked him about it, he very wisely said, uh, and I said, I told him everything, excuse me, everything about it. And I, and I said, well, what do you think about it? And he said, well, it doesn't actually matter what I think about it. It's what you think about it that matters very wise. And I said, well, I think it's real. I think Jesus is real. And I think the whole story's true, but I don't think I'm ready. And somewhere in that dialogue, he said something like, well, well why not? And I said, well, I'm not good enough. I, I, got, I got a lot of stuff to work through and I need to kind of get a few things together before I come to Jesus. And again, I don't know exactly how the conversation went, but somewhere he clarified to me, you're never going to get any better till you get to Jesus. <laughs> if you believe this, what are you waiting for? The time is now. So by faith, we went to my room, we sat down, he walked through the basic understanding of what it meant to know Jesus. I prayed, called out to Jesus, and as I've said so many times, for the first time in my life, I realized I wasn't alone. Wow, isn't that amazing? For the first time in my life, the peace of God came and I realized I was not alone. And that would begin a life change. That would begin a a turning. So fast forward the next year, uh, I turn my life around. I get a chance to play every game. And at the end of our our senior year, we didn't have that good of a year, but we did win the last game, praise the Lord. And so uh, we're all in the locker room rejoicing. And the coach um, comes around. He's talking to people. And I grew up in Southeast Texas. And Southeast Texas, boys didn't cry. Uh, and uh, this tough coach comes up to me. And uh, I hug him. And I just begin to boo-hoo and say, Coach, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for giving me a chance. Thank you for believing in me. And he said, he said thank you for responding, son. Not everybody makes that decision, but you made the right decision, and I'm proud of you. Wow. As I look back in, in, in my life, and I think we said this our family, my dad was a nice guy. He was a good guy, but he wasn't that influential in our lives, fairly, fairly distant and passive. 
Um, but when somebody said, what's the man that affected your life the most? I mentioned this guy, Coach Elliot. I would find out later that he was a believer. That's what motivated kind of what he did and how he lived his life. But I never really had any more time with him. Isn't that amazing that one man attentive to the Lord, breaking in and challenging a young man's life would change the trajectory of his life, even though that relationship was in one way short-lived, he is one of the most influential men that's ever stepped into my life. This goes two ways. Who has stepped into your life? Who stepped into your life? Who has tried along the way? Who has been the grace of God, the hand of God? This is what happened. This man pulls alongside the two men deliberating about Jesus. They don't see that it's Jesus. And so many times we don't see Jesus all around us. And what are the key pieces biblically and practically that keep us from seeing Jesus? Earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus would say this. He's saying the word's being planted all the time. But certain people are caught up in the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, and the cares of the world. So the word doesn't plant and transform them because of those three things. So deceitfulness of riches, that's just that basic deal of not even grinding for a certain amount of dollar figure, just always thinking about money. You get distracted from God after he said that he is your provider. We have a desire for other things. That's called idolatry. I want everything that I can have in this life but exclusive worship of God. That's called idolatry, desire for other things, putting other things before God. And this last one, which we all can relate to, the worries and cares of the world. These are the things that blind us from seeing Jesus. If we literally would say, give us this day our daily bread, I'm going to work and be diligent and faithful, and God is my supply, you'll see God supplying for you. If you literally put other gods aside and let the first affections of your heart and your life be God himself, you'll see God every day working in your life. If we will take the worries and cares of the world, and as the writer of Philippians says, we cast all our anxieties to him with prayer and thanksgiving and gratitude, we will find the chains come off and the weight of anxiety and worry have its proper place so that God can have his rule and reign. So that is a natural reason, a natural reason we don't always see Jesus coming up alongside of us. Another reason we don't see Jesus coming up alongside of us is the devil himself has blinded our eyes. Powerful scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow, that's a big deal. So the devil himself blinds the eyes of the unbelieving so that they cannot see God. He predominantly does this through lies. He's called the father of lies. If you're familiar with the Bible in Genesis 3, the first thing the devil says to to Adam and Eve, he says, has God really said that you're to live this way? And they begin to deliberate, well, maybe we can live our own way. That's called a lie. And so many times we say, well, these are just my own thoughts. But I would say, if there is a lie in your mind that is not from God himself, then that is from the devil, the father of all lies. And as I often say, you need to take that lie and send it on and not own it and take it in. And so many times 
We find ourselves oppressed, anxious, fearful. If you have thoughts today, I'm going to take my own life. If you have thoughts, nobody's ever going to love me. If you have thoughts, life is hopeless. If you have thoughts that there is no way forward, that is the devil. That is not just your flesh. That is the enemy trying to destroy you. The Bible says that God came to give us life abundantly, and it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If the thoughts you have are are causing you to have thoughts that would steal, kill, or destroy from your life, that is not God. That is the enemy. And the scripture says this, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So you do not have to live under the lies of the devil. You can submit to God, resist him, because the blood of Jesus has already nullified his power and his work. And we, because of that, in the name of Jesus, we resist him and we draw near to God with open hands of surrender. And the blood of Jesus covers us from his works. You guys maybe heard last week Jason Ramos talking about going into prison and sharing the gospel a few weeks ago, and he goes into solitary confinement where um, men, many of those men have life sentence or death row. One particular guy was in solitary confinement because he was on suicide watch, and Jason just felt led of the Lord to ask the guy, who told you to take your life? And the guy already knew it. He was clear, the devil. Satan told me to take my life. And Jason says, well, we'll drive him out in the name of Jesus, and then you can come and get in your right mind. They pray, resist the enemy, share the gospel. This guy's in his right mind. He comes to the Lord. Woo! So we have our flesh. We have the enemy. And then we have our emotions. Everybody say emotions. Woo! There are a lot of songs about emotions. Uh, <laughs> But here's the deal. In the end, emotions become more powerful than truth to most of us. I know we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free, but emotions tend to dominate the way that we live our lives because what we feel seems so tangible versus just what we think. And here's what's happening with our friends walking on the road now next to Jesus who they do not see. Our friends are emotional. Think about this. Jesus was the best friend they ever had and he just died. Just think about this. To be with Jesus was to be with perfect love. Any better, you know, we talked about I, my, I have a friend, they are my kindred spirit. For those uh, Anne of Avonlea friends from old, this is my kindred spirit. This is a person, and what you mean by that is they are my friend that sticks closer to brother. They've been through thick and thin with me. They know the worst about me. They know the best about me, and they're never gonna leave me. Jesus is the perfect friend that anyone's ever had. And he had this amazing ability, don't you know, that every disciple felt like he loved them more than anyone else? Of course, John had said that. He loved me more than anybody else. So at least one guy understood that. But to be with Jesus was to be with perfect love. And just think about that. My best friend, the one who loved me like nobody's ever loved me, he's gone. And they're grieving and they're not knowing what to do with their lives. Secondly, they had thrown in their lot with the Jesus people. And now Jesus had been crucified and they were about to be persecuted and they didn't know what their future held. We always never know who's going to knock on the door. It could be the Romans to take us and kill us because we were with Jesus. 
They had banked their whole future on Jesus coming to be the Messiah to reestablish Israel, to put them back at the center of life, to give them a future and a hope and identity. Everything about Jesus, their future was in it, and now their future is gone. These guys are grieving their loss. And can I just pause for a moment? Because as we were praying this morning, I know that there are people all over this auditorium and listening online who are grieving today. You're grieving the loss of a mother or a father, a sister, a brother, or a friend. Somebody that had loved you deeply. There is real grief that goes on, especially a time like Easter Sunday. We used to come together to the house of God, and now that person's gone. Can I just say that just as Jesus stood alongside these friends who were grieving, so Jesus is coming today to stand alongside you. So here they are. Their emotions are deep. But Jesus begins to speak to them, and you're going to see a transition happen here. But here is what you need to know about emotions. You cannot allow the emotions of the past to cloud your present and your future. Because God has a present and a future for you. The emotions of the past many times keep us from what God has for us in the present. So how did Jesus handle his grieving friends? He said this to them, verse 19, what things, what things are being talked about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, can't you feel it, the grief? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, women had said, but him they did not see. All right, so they are now explaining to Jesus <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, he's standing there and they're, they're telling him the whole story, everything he wanted them to know. They literally are repeating it. I love what our friend Steve Backlund says, you're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. He wanted them to hear them tell the story, to begin to believe it, even talking about the ladies seeing him. So they repeat the story and they said, but we had hoped that, it was, that he was here to redeem us and redeem Israel. So many times Jesus is trying to speak to us and we have the yeah, but. Yeah, but Jesus, you don't understand my life. That's a funny thought. God sees all and knows all, by the way. Okay, yeah, but you don't understand my financial situation. Yeah, but this person left me. Yeah, but the church hurt me. Yeah, but this person did this. Yeah, but this and even yeah, but you, God, weren't there. Can I just say that yeah, but phrase blocks you from seeing and experiencing Jesus. So then the tables are about to turn here because Jesus is about to correct them. He empathized with them. He said, hey, tell me what's going on. Tell me your heart. He understood them, but empathy does not end with sympathy. Empathy leads to deliverance. We empathize with one another to take people to a better place. 
Jesus empathized with them so that they knew that he was with them so that he could get them to victory, get them to a new place. And so he corrects them. Now, let me just say, it is God's love that corrects us. It's like we're going the wrong way. Correction is literally the shepherd taking the staff and helping us get going in the right way. The Bible says this about correction. If God does not correct us, we are illegitimate children. Just as a father corrects his children for their good, how much more will your father in heaven correct you for your good? So correction is a gift, and the guys are about to get that gift. So next verse, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You're about to get a good sermon from Jesus here in just a minute. But here's what he said. O foolish and slow of heart. You know, what he didn't say was, if you understand everything, then you will find me. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it is our unbelief ultimately that blocks us from Jesus, not our understanding everything. Let me give you a scripture for that. Romans 10 verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And of course, the truth of Jesus dying, rising again, has to be clear in our mind. That is righteous understanding. But it says you need to believe with your heart. And the word believe means to trust in, rely upon, and cling to. We believe in a person, not just a process. And when we believe in Jesus and we cry out and we say, God, we believe that you died. We believe that you rose again. We believe you made a way to the Father. We believe, God, that you have a way forward. We believe, God, that you are our help and our hope and our Savior and our King. We believe in you. That is what unlocks your faith and allows you to experience the God who loves you. Belief, belief. So they are corrected for not believing in what they had just said about Jesus so that they might get free. All right, then Jesus says this. It says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explains himself. Now again, time is, uh, uh, I don't have time today, but I just wanna begin with Moses and do three prophets to give you an idea of the validity and the power of the gospel. He began with Moses. If you guys know the story of Moses and these Jewish men absolutely knew the story of Moses, the children of Israel were in slavery and they cried out for a deliverer. Hey, that's your cue. If you feel in slavery, if you feel in addiction, if you feel in brokenness, we heard the testimony at the beginning, cried out for a deliverer and God sent Moses. Fast forward, Moses is then trying to help the, the children of Israel get out of Egypt and into the promised land. 
Nine different plagues happen to try to get Pharaoh to let him go, but he won't do it. So the 10th plague, the, the Lord says, go tell Pharaoh, the firstborn son throughout all of Egypt will die because of your hardness of heart, and then you will let the people go. But for you, Israel, you shall take an unblemished lamb, you shall slaughter it as a sacrifice, you shall take the blood and put the blood over your door, and when the death angel comes through the city, they will pass over your home, and your firstborn will not die because the blood will cover you. This is speaking of the Passover, the Passover meal. He's declaring again that meal that we had just a few days ago, you guys. The Passover meal that we've celebrated for now 1,400 years has become real in your midst. The blood that was shed at the cross is prophesying, uh, was prophesying and picking up on the life of Moses. Then Moses again goes to the Red Sea. They part the Red Sea. Millions of people go through. And then God closes up the waters and the enemies of God and their enemies are swallowed up and they get on their journey towards their purpose and their destiny. A thousand years earlier than that, David, the prophet David, prophet, priest, and king, David speaks in the Psalms of the rejection and triumphal entry into Jerusalem. In the Psalms, they detail the crucifixion of Jesus a thousand years before. In the Psalms, Jesus said, "No." Uh, the, the, the psalmist says, no bones will be broken at the crucifixion of Jesus. In the Psalms, when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was written a thousand years before. He tells them about his ascension and sitting at the right hand of the Father, describing the writings and teachings of David. And then there is Isaiah, of all the prophets, the one that would declare that God would be called Emmanuel, God with us, that he would be a mighty God that would rule over the governments of the world. He would be called mighty God, eternal Father, wonderful counselor and prince of peace. In Isaiah 53, he would talk about the, the, the commonality of Jesus and then the crucifixion of Jesus. Isaiah would prophesy, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chasing of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us, every one of us, like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus is speaking of Isaiah's prophecies of himself and of this day of the Lord that's happened and saying, this is the word of the Lord. This all happened for a purpose. This happened for a plan. This is what Jesus is all about. And then, verse 28. They approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. Jesus had just preached the whole truth to them, and he acted like he was going to go further. But they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it's getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Here's the deal. Everybody, if you don't, if you don't get anything today, I want you to get this. Jesus is walking by, but he won't come into your house unless he's invited. You see this in the New Testament. You see this right here. He will not go where he is not invited. 
You must invite him into your heart. You must invite him into your home. You must invite him into your business. Everywhere you need him, you invite him because he is always walking by. He is always available. The veil has been rent. He is accessible and he is wanting into your heart and your home. He's wanting to be at your table. Revelation 3.20, Jesus speaking of himself, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone, anyone in our city listening right now, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, says the Lord, and will dine with him and he with me. So our friends that were grieving and confused are getting a little clearer, and so they invite their traveling friend in. And it says this in verse 30, when he had reclined at the table with them, speaking of Jesus, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Can you imagine? Just think you're sitting there at the table and hey, you're our guest. Could you just break the bread? Because that's what they would always do. That was the, 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 the beautiful thing, the breaking of the bread. Obviously, so many symbols uh, going on here. But Jesus breaks the bread and all of a sudden they say, it's you, Jesus. And they were to say later on, we're not our hearts burning within us. We knew something was going on. Our hearts were burning within us. But now we see what was burning in our hearts hearts has become sight because you broke the bread and made the way for us to see. Woo! So I'm telling you again this morning, the bread has been broken. The body of Jesus has been broken for you. The wine has been given. The blood has been spilt for you that you might see Jesus in the past, in your present and you may have his rule and reign in your future. This is the story of Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to make a way for man to be intimate with God, yes, very, even married to God for now and for eternity. Where are you today in your journey? If you're in the sound of my voice and you do not know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. We have broken the word. If your heart's burning within you, if you feel that longing of your heart, if the, the racing of the heart's going on, that is the Holy Spirit of God convicting you, drawing you. You do not have to be perfect to come to Jesus. Actually, Jesus died for imperfection. This is not the table for the perfect because then that nullifies the grace of God. This is the table for the imperfect. And so we're coming by faith today for the first time. If you're a believer here in our midst, and which is the majority of the people listening and here in this moment, would you re-invite Jesus back into your home to rule and reign? Done this at different times in our lives where Lord and I have gone through each room in our house. Lord, this living room, the blood of Jesus over our doors, we literally have prophesied the blood of Jesus. This living room is yours, oh God. This kitchen is yours. What happens in this kitchen? Make it holy. This is your kitchen, God. Go to our bedroom. This bedroom is holy. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. This is a holy space for your glory, oh God. Every room of our house is a holy space because we've invited him in to rule and reign. 
and he's come and he comes and he comes and he comes so I'm going to pray a simple prayer if you need to know Jesus I want to take you to him if you know Jesus would you just close your eyes for a moment and just reflect for a moment say where do I need to let Jesus into my life to rule and reign right now if you're with your spouse or you're with a roommate or a friend and there's unholy spaces going on in your heart your home Maybe you should just pray together. Just lean over and say, all right, we're going we're gonna to get a holy space again. We're going to come, Lord Jesus. You can pray together. You can reflect together. So I want to pray right now. If you need Jesus, pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. If you need him, if you don't know him, tell, tell him you need him. I need you and I want you. Forgive me of my sins. This is where we bring all our garbage, all the junk we can't get out of our lives. We come to the cross. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Then we confess our faith. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I give my life to you. I am yours, Lord Jesus. I am yours. I give my life to you. I am yours. Now, Lord, I pray for every person calling on your name right now, every man, woman, and child online and in this auditorium, I proclaim them free from the power of sin and death because the resurrection is not only true, but it literally makes a way for an open access to intimacy and love and forgiveness and grace. I proclaim them free from the power of sin and death and free to be your children forever and ever and ever. And we all will come around at the end of our lives and see you face to face with joy and rejoicing because we have believed and trusted in you.